Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers fans? It is Zane Akvi. Back with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And unfortunately, my co-host Al Sacco could not be with us today. But we got the backup quarterback. You all know him, Peter Panacy. Hey, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Not a problem, Dane. Always fun to do this. Yeah, and uh, since the last time you came on, a lot of stuff has changed. Uh, obviously, the Jared McKinnon thing, the Khalil Mack trade. They, we've had final roster cuts. We've got the, the first game to talk about in Minnesota. There's a lot of things to discuss. So... Um, how, how are you doing, man? How, how do you see that this, this season going to, how, how do you think this is going to unfold? Well, it's going to be a little difficult, obviously with Jerick McKinnon going down. Um, that's a big blow. You know, I know a lot of the stuff that, uh, that we've been talking about and writing about and checking out as far as McKinnon's fit and Kyle Shanahan's offense and what he's going to be doing. Um, you know, there's, there's so much of a, of a game plan implemented with what McKinnon was going to do. So it's a pretty big monkey wrench. Uh, it's going to force uh, Kyle Shanahan to to operate on the fly. Now, you know, on the other hand, you saw how effective the offense was last year without a McKinnon McKinnon like running back in there. So maybe it's not going to be as bad, but it's going to be challenging. And what a way to start it off in Week One against the Vikings and uh, <laughs> their top defense from a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Kyle Shanahan when he was on the conference call, he sounded the day that it happened, he sounded a little downtrodden. Obviously, McKinnon was like one of the centerpieces of the offense, and he brought a dynamic that uh, they didn't have last year when when Carlos Hyde was there, or even Matt Breida. Matt Breida is a good back, but he's an undrafted rookie from well, second year player now. But he's he was largely unproven until we saw him at the end of the year. But Jarek McKinnon, he he brings that rushing and receiving threat. He had he had uh, I believe he had. Was it 68 catches last year or 68 targets, 51 catches last year? There were 400 yards. And, and he's that dual threat sort of back that Kyle Shanahan is looking for, a guy that, that can do both things coming out of the backfield. And it, when he gets hurt, it takes another weapon off the field for, for the 49ers. And I think that I think it's a big loss, but at the same time, I, think, I don't think it's a loss that they can't overcome. Like you hear people on the, on the radio here, and, and they're just like, oh, man, this is just, it's just the worst thing. And what's their offense going to do? They won't be able to move the ball. And I don't think it's that catastrophic. I think that, like I said, Jarek McKinnon was going to be a centerpiece. But I, at the same token, there are so many other weapons on this offense. You've got Matt Breida, who's now thrust into possibly the starting role. We don't know who's going to start on Sunday. They haven't released the depth chart as of the recording of the show. You've got Kyle Juszczyk. You've got George Kittle. You've got all the receivers, a plethora of receivers that can catch the ball. And you've got the ultimate weapon, which is Jimmy Garoppolo. And we have to remember that the 49ers played all of last season, obviously without Jarek McKinnon because he was on the Vikings and they did just fine when, when Jimmy Garoppolo was in there. In fact, when Jimmy Garoppolo came in, that was kind of like the coming out party for the offense. Like Kyle Juszczyk played a lot better. Uh, Matt Breida played a lot better. George Kittle played a lot better. Trent Taylor played a lot better. Basically he was the high tide that raised all of the boats in the lake. And you, you kind of have to count on that same thing this year. Yeah. And I think one of the things too, when you're looking at Matt Breida, um, last year was, was pretty special for him. I mean, he definitely exceeded expectations. Uh, one of the things, you know, that, that, that kind of gets overlooked. I mean, he was third on the 49ers in all purpose yards. I think he had 645. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know he had trouble with drops last year. That's not uncommon for rookies. Um, but he flashed a little bit in the receiving game too. So, you know, it's not necessarily the same uh, performance level that a McKinnon would give you, but it's, it's almost like a McKinnon light with Matt Breida. So you're still going to have that capability. But yeah, I mean, if you have a, a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo under center, being able to distribute the ball, having an upgraded receiving core that has more weapons now with Pierre Garcon coming back, Dante Pettis and, and what he was able to show during um, – during training camp and, and a little bit in the preseason, uh, the offense should still be considerably upgraded. And so, yeah, McKinnon's injury hurts, but it's certainly not the difference maker. It's not going to mm-hmm. be the thing that absolutely sets the 49ers offense back to the point where they're going to be ineffective. Yeah. And we have to remember that Kyle Shanahan is probably the best offensive mind in the game. And while this was a big blow, he's going to find some other way to exploit the other team's weakness. Like he's going to find some other way to make this work. And the silver lining in all of this, Peter, is that 
Alfred Morris gets a chance to show what he's got. And he played really well in that last preseason game. Granted, it was against, it was against a lot of backups. Sorry, the third game, it was against a lot of backups. But at the same token, like he is one of those proven backs. He's not the same sort of back as Jarek McKinnon was, obviously, especially catching the ball out of the backfield. But he had his best years in Washington under Kyle Shanahan. He knows the zone blocking scheme. He knows this offense. So the fact that they were able to get a guy who's who you can count on and who's not just a, an unproven commodity in there to to step in right away and start day one is huge. Yeah, and and I mean you saw you saw what Alfred Morris was able to do on the ground, and it was a lot of the the cutting ability, the vision. I mean, it looked like a seamless fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I know a lot of people are like, oh gosh, you know, he's twenty nine years old. He's kind of been the backup, you know, that type of role for the the past couple of years. And, and you heard Kyle Shanahan say afterwards that he wasn't going to be just, you know, a third down short yardage back, that he's a guy that can kind of do a lot. Um, maybe not so much as a pass catcher, but certainly as a guy who can run in between the tackles without problems, a guy who can bump outside with, with little difficulty. You can be a little concerned about the age because, you know, when a running back gets up there, when they fall off, they tend to fall off quickly. Mm-hmm. But considering the fact Kyle Shanahan likes to, change things up with his running backs when he's had two people that can effectively carry the ball well enough, uh, things get really dynamic. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, 49ers ground attack, it, it's not going to be, maybe it, it may, might not be as explosive as, as we'd hoped, but it's going to be solid enough. And I think that's going to be an element you're going to see do fairly well this year, as long as everybody stays healthy. So I've got some numbers for you and I, I guess I'm playing the role of Al today. Um, so I'll have to give numbers and, and cheer ruthlessly for the Yankees and be a Lakers fan and, and live on the East Coast and, and act like I'm from New York because that's where Al's from, right? So I'm, I'm being Al today, and I've got stats for you. Um, so Alfred Morris under Kyle Shanahan, um, he played 2012 to 2014 um, with, with Kyle Shanahan. In those years, uh, 2012, he had 30, 335 rushes for six, over 1,600 yards and 13 touchdowns. That was his rookie year. Then the next year, he had 276 carries for 1275 and seven touchdowns. And finally, um, he had uh, in 2014, he had 265 carries for 1074 yards and, and uh, eight touchdowns. So he played, he had his best years on Kyle Shanahan. And then when Shanahan left, uh, his numbers dropped to, uh, Morris's numbers dropped to 202 for 751 and only one touchdown and uh, only 3.7 yards a carry. So he, he fits really well in this offense in terms of, of the running game. I mean, he only has, he only has, uh, what is it? Uh, 57 or 58 career receptions. So he, he's not a threat catching the ball out of the backfield, but I feel like in the zone blocking scheme, he's a perfect fit. And on top of that, you look at, um, you look at what Cal Shanahan has been able to do with guys that, that have played in the system. Like he, he's been able to get the most out of running backs that play in the system. And, and the same goes for his dad, Mike Shanahan, back to the old Broncos days. And, um, I mentioned this in shows before, but, um, Peter, I, I don't know if you remember the running backs coach, Bobby Turner. He was the old Denver running backs coach, and he went to Atlanta as well and helped de- develop Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman. So they're in good hands. I, I don't think that they're going to – they will see a drop-off in, in production, obviously, with McKinnon gone, but I don't think it's going to be one of those things that's going to derail this entire offense. Yeah, and, and one of the other things, too, to consider about this, too, the, um, the offensive line upgrades – Mm-hmm. A lot was made this offseason to ensure the running game would be better. I mean, you remember last year, especially to the right side, Trent Brown, not very good run blocker. Uh, Brandon Fusco, you know, okay in run blocking, but not exactly a scheme fit. Now, depending on what happens with right guard, if it's Mike Person or Josh Garnett, uh, you know, Garnett was a good run blocker at least in college, mm-hmm. but uh, that's going to be different. But Mike McGlinchey. You know, that was his strength at Notre Dame, being able to effectively run blocks and be effective to run block. And especially that's going to open up both sides now. So runs aren't going to have to go to the weak side behind mm-hmm. Joe Staley. They're not going to, that's not going to be the main uh, direction of approach for, for outside runs. Now you can start to move things more to the right. So, yeah, so I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be something that, that it's going to wind up being, I think, a little bit better than probably a lot of people thought. And I think you're going to see more of Kyle Juszczyk on the field as well, because I mean, well, I mean, it really depends if Morris wants to run with a fullback or not. Like Frank Gore loved running with the fullback in front of him. Like he loved that. And Carlos Hyde, not so much right now you have Alfred Morris. We don't really know if he's going to want a, a fullback in front of him, but if he does, you will see a lot more of Kyle Juszczyk. And I think that 
when you check is on the field, he's kind of like becoming Jimmy Garoppolo's one of his safety outlets. Uh, he kind of just, there's so many, been so many times in the preseason where you've seen Juszczyk leaking out to the flat and he's wide open and Garoppolo kind of hits him with a three yard pass and Juszczyk turns it into like a 10 yard gain. I think that you'll see more of that during the season. Mm-hmm. You'll see Kyle Juszczyk kind of leaking out into the flat a little bit and being that safety valve. Because again, you have to make up for that loss of McKinnon and those, those targets have to, have to go somewhere. And I don't want to keep harping on, on the injury, but, but again, like it's one of those things where McKinnon, like, would he have even been able to make it through a 16 game season? Like he missed part of training camp or mini camp with the, with a non-contact injury. He missed the most of the preseason with the, with the calf injury. People thought it was a knee, but ended up being the calf right, right uh, at the top of the muscle below the knee. And obviously now with the torn ACL. So we have a guy that's getting hurt constantly with those non-contact injuries. You got to think that he's not going to make it through the season. And, and I'm sure it was in the back of their mind that like, they're like, Hey, there's a chance that this, that he could go down and we have to have a plan B, which is why they signed Alfred Morris. So I think that they they're prepared for it, but they weren't necessarily anticipating it. And, and now you're going to kind of see their, their skills to be able to regroup and if they can get the game plan together in one week. Yeah. And, and, and what it's going to do too, is as it, it, long as you're able to have that effective ground game, which you know, you're know you not going to lose too much, hopefully uh, that's also going to wind up setting up your play action all your bootlegs, all the interesting things that, that Kyle Shanahan likes to do with his offense. And, and he, you hear this from a lot of the, the, the defensive coordinators and defensive players that have faced Shanahan before, where a, a play is going to be disguised to look like a run, and, and you're, you're 100% sure it's going to be a running play. And then, okay, there's the handoff. Oh, wait, nope. Oh, wait, it's a run. But all the linemen are going this way, but the bootlegs going the opposite way. So as long as that's still effective, then yeah, all you know the other parts fall into place too. So yeah, I, I don't think the offense is going to take a terrible step back at all. No, I don't think so either. And and there's enough talent in the receiving core, which I want to get to next. Um, and and they can they can definitely cover that cover that up and take some of those targets. Um, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that there was a possibility that both Kendrick Bourne and Richie James make the team um, because. Uh, at the time I was saying that Aaron Burbridge would get cut and Burbridge was one of those guys that played only special teams. And what, what that's exactly what happened is that Aaron Burbridge got cut. Richie James made the team and he's basically the sixth receiver behind Kendrick Bourne. So really they've got talent like one through six. Like, are they, are any of them elite? Uh, You know, I don't think so. I think Marquise Goodwin is a solid number one at this point in his career. Like he's proven it that he can be a number one. And he can, he, he has really good chemistry with Jimmy and, and he's able to run the entire route tree and not just the goal route like he did in Buffalo. But beyond that, it's like, you have a lot of guys that are really shifty, really quick. Um, of course you have Pierre Garcon, who's the, the, the veteran of the group, but you have a lot of, a lot of unknowns in that group that have a lot of talent that you can, that you can utilize. And I think that, uh, you know, you know, the old saying ignorance is ignorance is bliss, Peter. I think that these guys can really take take advantage of that whole thing. They don't really have any expectations for themselves because they haven't really been in the league long enough. And yeah, it, I think you, they, you're they, absolutely right. I mean, that's that's going to be something that I think you're going to be taking a look at as far as aside from Pierre Garcon and and to an extent Marquise Goodwin, who was really you know just not utilized in Buffalo. Uh, I mean, Trent Taylor, second year player. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marquise Goodwin, his second year in the system. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, second year. Um, and then, of course, Dante Pettis, Richie James. The guys really haven't proven themselves yet, but anybody who's watched a Kyle Shanahan offense would attest to the fact that he schemes those guys to get open. It's not about the 50-50 jump ball. It's not about um, you know winning the one-on-one matchups per se. It's more about getting open, creating space, creating yards after the catch. So that's, I think, where you're going to see a lot of that core just really excel this year. Yeah, like receivers, Kyle, if there's one thing Kyle Shanahan knows, it's it's receivers. Like he he can draft them, he can develop them. One example is when when Kyle Shanahan was in when he was the offensive coordinator with Cleveland, um, he he had Travis Benjamin as one of his receivers there, right? I believe Travis Benjamin was like the one, the number one at that point. And their 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 talent was so bad on that team, but he still got 68 catches and 966 yards out of Travis Benjamin, who hasn't even sniffed either of those totals since that year. This was back in 2015. So I feel like he can get that same sort of production out of some of these other receivers. Granted, you know, Jimmy has to stay upright and, and the offensive line um, concerns still remain, which, which we'll get to in a second. 
But if these guys can get open, Jimmy will find them. And he's because he excels at throwing guys open. So I think that what you're going to see is, is, and what I've been discussing with Al for, for weeks before this is that you won't necessarily see like a, a guy that they're force feeding the ball to every single down. You'll see a lot of spreading the ball around. You'll see a lot of guys, like seven, eight guys catching the ball per game. You won't see Jimmy locking on to one guy. I, first of all, I don't think he's that type of quarterback. I think he's, he's good enough where he can, he can find the open guy. But many games, the, the number one receiver is going to be the open guy, and he's going to exploit that mismatch. Right, right. And, and you saw a bit of that last year with the ball distribution and, and, and finding the open receiver. And then also, I mean, just anticipating which route trees and which routes based on the coverage are going to wind up finding a hole in a zone or are going to be able to create separation with the excellent route running skills, which is the top priority for, um, for a Shanahan receiver. I mean, speed is a big part of that too, but you know, the crisp route running is something that you'll wind up taking advantage of with this offense and yeah jimmy garoppolo doesn't lock into a receiver yeah you see him able to find the open guy and a lot of times when that guy's open he's open by a good you know six or seven steps so it kind of reminds me way back and i'm dating myself here but you know the early 1980s where you know the the bill walsh west coast offense was stressing guys were open and it's just the play calling and, and the play designs were such that guys were getting open and there wasn't a defender around them at all yeah, every single play in Kyle Shanahan's offense has a purpose. Like this is not one of those schemes where they're just kind of trudging along and they'll throw they'll throw the deep ball every now and then just just to show it. Every single play, every single route, every single run that they have has a place in in this offense. And I think that's what I appreciate the most out of it. Is is like you said, it's it's very much like the Bill Walsh offense of the early eighties with the West Coast offense, where every single play had a purpose, like a three yard dump off to the running back had a purpose. It wasn't just like, a, Oh, well, everybody's covered. So we're just going to dump it to him. Every single thing that, that they're going, going to be doing will be trying to exploit a mismatch on the field. And that's what makes Kyle Shanahan, in my opinion, the best offensive mind in the game. Now, is that always going to work? No, you're eventually going to have to make a big play and, and you're going to have to force the issue and, you know, things will happen. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll have to turn the ball over that, you know, plays, plays won't execute properly. So those things, those things happen in the course of a game, but, but at the end of the day, really like if you have a, a rhyme and reason for everything that you're doing, you're most likely going to come out on top. And when you don't have the talent edge and while the 49ers are much more talented than, than they were a couple of years ago, they're still probably like another year away. When you don't have the talent edge, you have to rely on scheme to get you wins. Yeah. And, 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 and the prime example, and you can see how big of a difference, um, this made for San Francisco last year when the pointers didn't have the talent for you know the first two thirds of the season before Jimmy Garoppolo started, where it was so frustrating to watch because the talent level wasn't there. Uh, Garoppolo comes in and just like that, I mean, you see all the pieces start to fall into place with a roster that compared to you know most of the teams that they faced down the stretch during that five game win streak. I mean, you're talking three playoff teams, and the Rams were starting there their B team last game of last season, but still like you're seeing the scheme win. you're seeing guys getting open, you're seeing the 49ers effectively ending drives in points. And uh, when it's, when all starts to click like that, that's when things become dangerous. And for them to score points, they've got to keep Jimmy Garoppolo upright and the offensive line. It still scares me a bit because they, they haven't been great and they weren't great. In the, they were okay in the preseason. McGlinchey, very pretty well. He had a, a few mishaps that you expect out of a rookie. Obviously, Joe Staley is the the anchor of that offensive line, and Lakin Tomlinson seems to have a pretty good chemistry playing next to Staley when when Jimmy Garoppolo is the the quarterback. Richbird had had issues with penalties and discipline. I don't think that's going to be an issue during the season. I just think that he just needs to honestly that guy just needs to hit somebody, and and when it counts, like it's he's he's most likely going to be. Um, your your probably best offensive lineman against the pass against the uh, the uh, against the fierce pass rush, and as you mentioned, Garnett um, on on the right side. I really think that they need to settle this guard this uh, right guard spot. Right now, we don't know if Garnett's starting. We don't know if it's Jonathan Cooper was was let go, so we don't know if it's Garnett or Person. Um, I think it's probably going to be Garnett. We we don't have like an official depth chart uh, as of yet, uh, as of the recording of the show, but. When it comes to uh, game time Sunday, it's probably going to be Garnett, um, or you'll see some sort of platoon 
situation where they're just going to have to figure it out on the fly. I really wish they'd done more during the off season to, to address that. But I think that they felt that they had the, the guys that, that could execute on their team um, rather than bringing some guy in through the draft or uh, aside from a Blinchy or um, a free agent. So I don't know, man, what do you, what do you think about this offensive line? Am, am I, am I crazy here? Like, should I, should I be worried? Well, you know, it, the positive part is center and, and tackles are, are the inherent parts of, of a Kyle Shanahan offense. Those are the big, big, big names. I mean, you look with the Falcons and, and Alex Mack coming aboard. I mean, uh, so every single, well, aside from Joe Staley, but every single, you know, the center and the, the tackles are all picked by Shanahan, the new regime. Um, the guard play is important, but nowhere near it the way it is for other teams out there. So, you know, Lakin Tomlinson, I mean, we all kind of knew he struggled early last year, um, basically being thrown into the fire right out of the gate and trying to figure things out. Uh, of course, later on in the year, he played pre- pretty well and, and all the analytics and numbers back it up. I mean, you look at, you know, pro football focus grades down the stretch when Garoppolo took over the starting duties and, and Tomlinson was really good during that period. So, and, you know, I didn't look too much at him during the preseason. Nothing stood out. That's you know a good thing. Um, the right side, I mean, it, you hear Kyle Shanahan say that, that it's still Mike Person's job to lose. I wonder if that's just another kind of means to continue lighting a fire under Josh Garnett. I'm not sure. You know, after watching Garnett pancake people in the preseason during his extended looks when he was playing, you know, I'm with you. I was kind of like, well, shouldn't Garnett just be named the starter to solidify this thing? And one thing that offensive lines need, perhaps more than any other unit, is time to gel, time to figure out each other, time to work with each other left and right to figure out what everybody's strengths are, weaknesses are, how they move, where they like to move, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's one of those things where you'd want to see this addressed sooner than later. And, of course, uh, going back to one of Kyle Shanahan's press conferences, I think it was after the fourth preseason game, where he was saying that he might not determine that until Sunday. So mm-hmm. that's a little bit of a question mark, but uh, I, I imagine he's probably got a reason behind that. So we'll see what happens. Man, I appreciate you kind of like talking me off the ledge here. Like, I mean, it's it's when you have a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, it's like this guy is like your your franchise. You want him to to stay clean. You want him to stay healthy all year long. Obviously, in the NFL, it's it's hard to do that. But it's just it's just like the 49ers season. If Garoppolo, if Jimmy gets hurt, their season is just done. Like that's it. So <laughs> I, I really hope you're right, man. I really hope that they can that they can figure this out and and put put together the best five that they have. Now, another another position that I want to talk about before we get to our game preview was uh, edge rusher. And the the Niners released Jeremiah Atauchu, um, and he was one of the guys that they had brought in to be that edge rusher from, from San Diego. And it just didn't pan out. He just wasn't able to get on the field enough and, and show what he had. But I just don't feel like they, they really did enough during the offseason to address that position at all. Like they they re-signed Cassius Marsh. They have Peter Tomipenu on the practice squad. They recently traded Eli Harold. So I just I just don't really know what they're gonna do there. They it seems like they're willing to try out DeForest Buckner out there as well on some downs. And I just I don't think that that you know you you should move Buckner from from the middle because he can get pressure up the middle and and it's just it's just kind of a big question mark to me. Yeah, and I think long term, when you're looking at the the long game. You know, the 49ers still wanted to do some pretty major tweaks um, to other units, obviously bringing in Mike McGlinchey in round one during the draft. And uh, instead of using one of their picks on one of the few pass rushers that were coming out. And that was another thing, too. I mean, the free agency class was almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, the draft was pretty thin at pass rushers. So you don't want to necessarily burn a pick that you might want to use elsewhere or value a guy elsewhere. Um this upcoming year, especially in the draft, is supposed to be stacked with pass rushers, both interior and exterior. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could take almost anyone off of Clemson's defensive line and just say, okay, <laughs> go, mm-hmm. and they'll be NFL ready. So I think one of the plans defensively for John Lynch was just to say, you know what, we'll worry about that any year. We're still in the re- rebuild mode. Obviously, the 49ers aren't under pressure to, to win now and go with what we've got in the meantime. But yeah, in the meantime, it's probably going to be pretty, pretty ugly, pretty, um, you know, it'll, it'll hurt a bit. Now, granted there are teams out there that get by 
without a dominant outside pass rush. The Rams are a perfect example. They rely on interior guys. Now, for the 49ers, you're thinking, you know, you keep DeForest Buckner at that, you know, that three technique and, and you move Solomon Thomas inside in sub packages where his pass rushing moves are better. Maybe that works. Maybe that pans out. Buckner and, and Thomas are really good in the preseason. So, you know, preseason narratives, but at the same time, you hope that can be an effective, an effective means. Um, you know, as far as Cassius Marsh being out there as a situational edge rusher, it, it, it's going to be probably what you'd expect. You know, he might get four or five sacks at the most this season. He might get pressure. That's the one thing you always hear Robert Sala talk a lot about is it's not necessarily the sacks. It's more about the pressure. Mm-hmm. And if that's effective enough and it throws off a quarterback's timing, forces him to throw the ball a little bit earlier, maybe that takes pressure off the secondary and uh, things wind up being not as bad as we thought they were. But I'm still not investing too heavily in the, uh, in the 49ers pass rush, pass rush this season. Yeah, they feel like they can play Solomon Thomas out there, and I just, I just have never seen that. I haven't. He's been much better this preseason. He's been, it's been like night and day difference between last year and this year, partially because he got the late start last year with Stanford's academic year ending so late. But I, I just, I just don't think that he's that type of explosive rusher. I feel like that guy has to be like ha, has to have more explosion and and bend. And and you're right, they probably haven't found that guy, and he's probably in next year's draft class. Like I. The, the the big draft pick that I didn't agree with this year was was uh, the Contavious Street pick in the fourth round when uh, Josh Sweat was was sitting right there and he went like two picks later to the Eagles and Josh Sweat was another guy who was kind of coming off an injury but he has the potential to be a, a really good pass rusher and I was kind of surprised at the time when they didn't take him um, but you know all of that's a, a water under the bridge so I I, I really think that they're going to, going to be relying on the interior pressure and and. Buckner and, and Thomas to be able to generate pressure and double teams on the interior to free up some of the guys on the outside. Like you can't, I said this to Al last week, you can't rely on the blitz every down. Like you have to be able to get pressure with four sometimes. And that's what made the Vic Fangio 49ers defense is so good is that they were able to get pressure with four. And most of those guys would drop back into coverage. Now they had a, a hell of a lot more talent than this group does. Is it, and that's not a sliding as this group. That's talking about how good those teams were when you had Patrick Willis and Lamar Bowman in the middle you, you had really, really good defensive linemen bookends with Justin Smith and Alden Smith. You don't really have that at this point. You've got Ruben Foster, who's, you know, who has a potential to be right. You've got, you know, you've got DeForest Buckner, the same thing, potential to be great, but you just can't, they, they can't run that same defense. Like they're going to have to bring pr- pressure with the blitz. And that's where having a guy like Richard Sherman will pay off because he is a veteran and you can leave him out there on, on the Island. And he's going to make in turn, he'll make your defense better because you can do more things by not having to worry about that side of the field. Right. Right. And especially, I mean, where Sherman wins, it's, it's, you know, he's not a speed guy. He's never been a speed guy. You know, it's all about football smarts, placement, you know, understanding what a receiver is going to do right off the snap. And, uh, and, and what Sherman did in Seattle, uh, what the 49ers will do with him is he's basically going to just going to lock down that side of the field. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't follow a number one wide receiver around. They don't do that. It's, you know, that side of the field from 49ers defensive vantage point, the left side of the field, that's going to be where he is. And, you know, that's going to force, probably force a lot of passes to go Akella Witherspoon's way, which is why his role this season is going to be extremely important in making sure that he can live up to what you saw last year and uh, follow that campaign up when he, you know, essentially took over the starting role from Richard Robinson and made Robinson expendable. Uh, he's going to have to live up to that because I think teams, they might test Sherman early, but if Sherman just plays at 75% of where he was at the past few years, which I think he'll be capable of doing, no problem. Uh, teams are going to want to toss that way, which is great. It shuts down half the field, but also puts increased pressure on Witherspoon to make sure that he's out there making plays. And they're going to be tested this coming week. They're going to be tested on Sunday with um, Adam Thielen and, and Stefan Diggs. And let's jump right into the, the, the game preview and talk about some of these guys. It's, it's going to be, Peter, it's going to be one of those situations where the 49ers are going to have to play not a flawless game, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to play like a, like a B plus a minus game to win in Minnesota. Like Minnesota is a championship contending team. Obviously they had to Kirk cousins in the off season to, to play that quarterback role that they were missing last year when case Keenan was kind of game managing them, them to the, the NFC championship game. They have a guy who can make plays now from the quarterback position. You can, you can leave it on his shoulders. The only thing with Kirk cousins is that he's sometimes wildly inconsistent he doesn't always show up for big games. And I think that 
this being the first game of the season and, and having all a lot of butterflies and being in a new in a new uh, uniform for Kirk Cousins, new surroundings, they could they could take advantage of this and 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 squeak out a win. You know, like I mean, I'll give I'll give my prediction at the end of the show, but this this is the the first true test of the season. I think this is probably the, the toughest schedule that the 49ers, the toughest game on the 49ers schedule that, that you're going to see. And it just so happens to be in the first week of the season and, and they're going to be tested when they go up there. Yeah. You might, you might as well get it out of the way first. Just, uh, mm-hmm. Hey, let's go after a, uh, a potential Super Bowl contender and see what happens. And hopefully it goes well. You know, the interesting part with Kirk cousins, um, you know, he hasn't played well in week one games. I think he's had three of them so far in his career. So, you know, you're right. I mean, you look at week one, and it's almost like a primetime game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the excitement, especially being at home for, you know, for him in a, in, a new, in a new surrounding, new setting, new offensive coordinator, um, that can put a lot of pressure on him, you know. And when you're looking at him, you know, trying to, to sort of, I guess, live up to expectations, work out with, the, uh, with receivers that, you know, he's really only had a rapport with during training camp and, and in the preseason – that could play into the 49ers advantage a little bit. Uh, you know, he still is going to make aggressive throws. He's kind of got that gunslinger mentality. Mm-hmm. He's going to take some risks. Uh, 49ers can force him to do that. Try to get some pressure on him, especially from the interior. That would be good. That'd be beneficial. Make him throw outside the numbers. That would help uh, keep him from play action. I know that was one thing that Jay Gruden used to like to do with him back in Washington. So, you know, the, the 49ers have a chance there, but of course you look at, Minnesota and so many other areas, and it's like, gosh, it's, you know, you can take Cousins out of the game, and the Vikings can still beat you. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, his his receivers, like he's got a solid one two punch there with Thielen and Stefan Diggs. Thielen last year, ninety one catches for uh, twelve hundred seventy six yards and four touchdowns, and um, Stefan Diggs had eight touchdowns. Didn't quite get to a thousand yards, but he was explosive. And we all remember the play against the Saints where he. Uh, which was which was kind of luck as well, but he was able to get get free and and score that touchdown and win that game. It's going to be one of those those games, Peter, where they're going to have to control the clock. Like you can't you can't just keep giving Minnesota the ball back on uh, either on a short field or with not taking enough time off the clock. This is going to be one of those games where they'll have to complete complete a lot of short passes. The Vikings have a great defense; like they were number one in points and yards last year. Funny thing, so Jacksonville was actually number one in points until they played the Forty ers and when the 49ers hung 44 on them, 37 by the offense, it went down to number two. I mean, Minnesota went to number one in points. But the, the lone thing that I can hold on to about the, the Vikings defense is that they don't really force turnovers. Like they were, they were 23rd in the league last year in turnovers. So they've got a really, really good secondary. They've got Xavier Rhodes, who is, in my opinion, like a top five corner in the game. And Harrison Smith, who's like a top, probably a top three safety in the game. He's that good. Uh, they're going to, they're going to be really, really tough. And especially at home with that noise, it's going to early start. It's going to be one of those games where it's like gut check time right off the bat. So you're going to have to bring, especially without McKinnon. Now you're going to have to bring something that they haven't seen before. And I really think that you're going to see a lot of short, quick passes from Jimmy. You won't see him holding onto the ball that much. You'll see uh, a lot of four wide receiver sets and, and some of these quicker guys trying to get open in shorter spaces. But this could be one of those games that if you win it, it could come down to like a special teams play or a late turnover, or even having Robbie gold, kick a, kick a field goal or, or a set of field goals. Like you should be scoring every time you touch the ball against, against this defense. Like you, you cannot go long periods of time, not scoring against them. Even if it's a field goal, they're not going to allow much. They're, they're one of the better defenses in the league, if not the best. So you definitely need to make, need to make the most of your chances. Yeah, and I think one of the chances that that uh, the 49ers are going to try to exploit, I was looking at some of the individual one-on-one matchups. Um, the slot battle, Trent Taylor, uh, nickel corner, Mackenzie Alexander. Mm-hmm. Alexander's uh, questionable. He's got an ankle injury, and uh, you know it's, it's possible he doesn't suit up. But if he does, one, he might be slowed by that ankle. And uh, two, I, I can't remember who, uh, who would start at a nickel for Minnesota if Alexander can't go. But that would be a matchup I would like to see Kyle Shanahan exploit. We already know uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's got a rapport with Trent Taylor. Taylor's a third down weapon, a guy that can move the sticks, and uh, a guy that's not afraid to get dirty in the end zone. I mean, you've mm-hmm. seen that a few times too. So, you know, if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I'm taking advantage of that. 
I'm looking to get Matt Breida involved in the passing game, uh, even though you're going to have to take some risks with the drops to see if those replicate themselves uh, from last year. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, the matchups are, are there. You know, the Minnesota Vikings aren't going to give you much. They're not going to you know, allow you to move the ball too easily on the ground through the air. That secondary is absolutely dynamic. But if you can find some matchups like the one against Alexander uh, and exploit those well enough, sustain drives, maintain possession, don't commit mistakes, don't turn the ball over, that's going to be huge for San Francisco's offense. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, you know, it could come down to that, you know, that late turnover, or that you know, game-winning field goal or, or uh, you know, elongated drive that chews up the clock in the fourth quarter. Those could be the difference makers on Sunday. They have to block Everson Griffin. They have to get some either a chip block or get the get the running back to to pick him up. But coming out of the backfield on, on a pass pattern, like they they have to block him. Like he had he had twenty he had uh, thirteen sacks last year and uh, made the Pro Bowl. And this guy is just an absolute terror. So they need to block him first and foremost. He's going to be the the centerpiece of their defensive line. And um, you know they like to move him around, and and he'll be going against against McGlinchey at some points. He'll be going against Staley at some points. So really they, they, the key is to let Jimmy be able to throw the ball. And I don't think that he may, I honestly, I don't think that he's not, not going to, I think he's not going to have a lot of time to throw it. So you'll see a lot of really quick, short, short passes. And, and like I said earlier, they're going to be deliberate. They're going to be super purposeful with what they do in their offense. It's not going to be one of those helter skelter things. I think that they're past that point. And if it didn't happen last year with Jimmy knowing a quarter of the playbook, I don't think it's going to happen this year. So for them to win this game, I think one of my big keys is that they need to keep, obviously keep Jimmy Garoppolo clean, but they need to be able to move the chains as well. Like they've got to keep the clock moving. They got to keep the chains moving. They may not be able to run the ball on these guys, but a five yard pass is just as good as a five yard carry from Alfred Morris. And I think the Kyle Shanahan realized that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, just, the one thing that that wasn't too big of a problem in the preseason, and of course, you know, again, preseason narratives, but third downs weren't too bad of a problem. And mm-hmm. you remember early on, the first half of last year, third downs were ugly. It was it was really, really, really bad. Uh, but of course, after that five game stretch, third downs seemed to be almost an afterthought. And the 49ers were very, very effective at first getting into positions where it isn't third and long. You know, you're 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 dealing with more third and fives and third and fours you know, manageable situations. And if you face that, then, Hey, you know, that's, that's all the better. So that's going to be a key element. And uh, especially as I mentioned too, turning the ball over. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's kind of dogged the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan, I mean, it's kind of emphasized, but in preseason, um, the offensive penalties too. So especially the pre-snap ones, those ones can get really frustrating and really halt all the drive and kill a lot of momentum. So that's going to be something I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful the 49ers are able to keep on top of throughout the game limit those false starts, that sort of thing. Yeah, the Huskies play a pretty disciplined game. They can't just go in there and think that they're just going to knock heads around and, and that this is going to work. Like, this is this is the one game on the schedule where I'm like, okay, you know, like, I'm not as confident that they're going to win. Uh, otherwise, like, in every other every other game on the schedule, I'm like, okay, they have, they have a legitimate chance. This is the only game where I'm like, okay, this has a potential to get, to get ugly because, and that's not, a slide against the 49ers and how, how they're saying that they're bad. That's how good Minnesota is. And I don't think people realize how good Minnesota is. And, and it's just one of those things where they will have to play discipline. They'll have to, like I said, eat up the clock. They have to keep Jimmy clean. And uh, honestly, Peter, this is one of those games where the defense, if they can steal this game, they'll probably do it with the defense. The defense will come up with a big turnover or a big play here or there, or just hold Minnesota to, to, um, and check for most of the game. I think that this is this is their sort of game to to win because the offense is kind of like it's a wash because Mike Zimmer's offense and Kyle Shanahan's offense that's the that's where they're almost even. The difference is that the Vikings defense is is much is far superior. So if the 49ers can match that for one game, I feel like they can they can pull it off. Yeah, and and especially too because when you get out of the season, uh, you know, especially with a complex offense like the 49ers run, uh, with all the starters who you know, don't typically play too much in the preseason, you always see it. Uh, I mean, you're seeing it between the Falcons and the Eagles. The offense always tends to be behind the defense early, you know, especially when you have a complex offensive system. So yeah, if the defense can go out there, steal a game, force a turnover to uh, Kirk Cousins is turnover prone, not just through the air, but 
You know, you can fumble. Um, you know, you, you manage to get a little extra pressure that you weren't necessarily expecting from the pass rush, then, yeah, maybe the defense can pull this out. And honestly, that's kind of what I'm expecting, um, at least for, for hopefully for a while on, on Sunday. Yeah, like you're seeing it with the the Philadelphia and Atlanta game. Everybody's playing so tight. They're, it's not a well-played game because at this point, the the contracts are so big and the players mean so much that you don't see, as you said, you don't see the starters a lot in preseason. The rust is there, and they, they need to knock some of that off. And I'm hoping that the same happens with Kirk Cousins. Like he, you know, he is, he, he threw 13 interceptions last year and, and, you know, he, that was the, and that was a career high for him. So I, you will get chances to catch the ball on defensive side. You just got to make, you got to make the most of it. And they have to be violent. Like Robert Sala says, the defense coordinator, he, he mentioned that they're, they're going to be violent and fast and all gas, no break. This is the time, man. This is the time to, to prove it. I know it's only the first game. But if they can win this game, it's a huge statement win for the 49ers. Yeah, hey, and, and, and going up against a, a top dog, you know, one of the two, probably one of the two top teams in the NFC. I, mean, I guess you could throw the Saints in there or the Rams, but, you know, certainly one of the teams that you would highly, highly bank on being in the NFC championship game, possibly the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. If you're going to measure yourself and you're going to be about as healthy as you're going to be all season, uh, and as fresh as you are all season, you might as well do it now. It's that benchmark. It's that that point where you're gonna gonna be able to sort of test your metal. And uh, if if that's how the 49ers start off the season, I, I I would rather do it now and figure out how you're stacking up against some of the league's top competition. Right. And this is granted. That being said, this is not one of those games where I'm like, okay, they're gonna they're gonna win it. This is not one of those games where I'm expecting them to win. I am hoping for a competitive game. I'm hoping that they stay close. But I'm most definitely not expecting them to win this game because it's just a really tough task. Now, next week against Detroit here in San Francisco, that's that's a game I expect them to win. Like that, you should win that game. Like you're better than that team. You're playing at home. It's your home opener. You you have no reason to lose that game. So I think that barring barring everybody being healthy, like I think this week is more of like a litmus test for them to see how far along they are. And it's kind of unfair. Like I, I think that the NFL schedule makers did a disservice to the 49ers by putting all of their tough games in the first half of the schedule. They've got this game in Minnesota. They've got a game against the LA Chargers in LA, who are also a contending team. And they've got the great game in Green Bay. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is is, is looming there. So the, if they had these spread out throughout the entire season, we could say, like, okay, you know, it's not just like first week jitters or whatever. But unfortunately, this is these are the cards they've been dealt, and they've got to travel halfway across the country, not all the way across, play an early game against a Super Bowl contending team, which I, I don't think befits uh, a third-place schedule like the 49ers got. I think that most teams are, are, are more fortunate in that, in that respect. Maybe not the Falcons because they have to play the, the Eagles, but even, even, the, even the Falcons are holding their own. So you never really know, and, and you never know any given Sunday a team could show up and, and play the game of their life. And I think that the 49ers have a, a shot to win this game. Do I think they're going to win it? We'll see. Let's talk about game predictions. What do you got? Oh, gosh. Um, I'll throw a wrench in here. Um, and I'm throwing a wrench to myself because this is what <laughs> I tend to do. Week one games are so weird. I mean, that's one thing that you always have to consider. I mean, look at 2015. The 49ers just steamrolled the Vikings. And then that year, the 49ers won five games. Mm. 2016, the 49ers shut out the Rams <laughs> and that was one of only two wins they had that season. Mm-hmm. So that said, if I was a betting man, uh, if yeah. I was putting money on this game and it meant a lot, I, I, I wouldn't put money on the 49ers to win. I, I think the game stays close probably for the better part of three quarters, a one mm-hmm. score game. It stays within the spread. Um, and I still think the 49ers might wind up covering. I think it's a six and a half point spread. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, I still see I still see the Vikings defense just being absolutely dominant during the contest. And you know, the 49ers offense might struggle getting into the red zone, struggle once they're in the red zone. Um, and you know, the 49ers defense might hold their own you know, against Dalvin Cook, against uh, Kirk Cousins. And that will keep the Niners in the game. will keep it competitive. But ultimately, I think you're probably going to see something where the Vikings pull off maybe like a, oh gosh, I'd say maybe like a, a 21-14 or a 21-17 win. 
and uh, 49ers were start 0-1, but that's okay because uh, they were in it pretty close to the end, and you take that if you're San Francisco as this sort of test of the bar. Really? You think they're going to lose this game? I do. I do, and that's, that's me going off of the uh, – that if I had to put money down on this, that's what I would go with. Um, okay. The week ones could be so weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've seen strange things with the 49ers on week one during, this, uh, during, the, during the down years. So, mm-hmm. But, yeah, if I was a betting guy, I'd be betting on the Vikings to pull this off. Well, uh, speaking of that, a, a small tangent. So uh, Dennis Erickson, Mike Nolan, Mike Singletary, um, Jim Tom Sula all won their first games. So, uh, uh, or week one games uh, in, in, in their tenures as 49ers coaches. So those are some pretty bad teams. I'm not saying this team is, is that same uh, of that same ilk, but this is a totally different situation. But I was hoping that you say they win so we don't have to agree and we could have like a back and forth. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I can but tell I, you why I think the 49ers would win. Sure. Yeah. Why, why, why yeah. don't you go ahead and do that before I get my yeah, so, Warriors win if the defense is able to, uh, to, to force Kirk Cousins to be aggressive, to, to, you know, throw outside the numbers, to force some passes that wind up being turnovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if the 49ers are able to generate just two turnovers during the game, um, and whatever it is, and halt two of the Vikings' offensive drives and mm. put Minnesota's defense back on the field. Um, that's going to be an X factor. Another X factor is going to be that Minnesota offensive line, which is banged up right now. That's a problem. That's something that could be an issue. And I think, you know, we're talking about DeForest uh, um, Buckner, Solomon Thomas, the interior pass rush. Uh, I forget the guy who's going to be starting at center because I think um, Pat Elfline, he's – I think he's doubtful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're, they're on a backup center. That can bode well for the 49ers' interior rushers, which doesn't make Kirk Cousins' life any easier. So 49ers win this game. They're going to do so by disrupting Cousins. And on the offensive side of the ball, if they win this game, it's going to be because of, you know, that nickel matchup going up against Mackenzie Alexander. And keeping it within a one-score game, I would have full confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo, the, camp, the game planning if you see the 49ers in a two-minute drill trailing by, let's say, three points, and if they're able to be within striking distance within the last four minutes of regulation, last five minutes of regulation, they'll win this game. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the Vikings offensive line. They only averaged, uh, it was like 3.9 yards of carry last year, under four yards of carry. So, And that was with, obviously, Jarek McKinnon, who, who averaged more than four. Uh, they have Dalvin Cook, who had the ACL injury. Now he's he's coming back this year. I, I just think that that's a place that they can be exploited. I think that they're, the, the 49ers can really get a lot of pressure up the middle. And if you can collapse a pocket from the middle, uh, that that really, really creates havoc. Because then you get guys in throwing lanes. And you get guys, running backs, having to help out up, up basically up the middle. They can't even run the routes. Because when you're, when you're an edge rusher and a running back needs to chip him, he can still run his route. He can get him on the way out. But if you're if you're using a running back to pass protect like up the middle, that's that's never going to work. That's going to take one one more weapon out of your offense. So I agree that the 49ers can win by by putting pressure on Kirk Cousins and collapsing the pocket um, and relying on Richard Sherman to shut down one of Adam Thielen or Stefan Diggs um, and hoping that Colbert can double um, the other guy with uh, whoever whoever isn't being covered by Sherman with with Witherspoon. It just it's just so it's kind of far fetched to me, honestly. I I think the 49ers will lose this game as well. We're about we're about to get flamed, by the way, on Twitter. So when people hear this, they're gonna be like, Oh, what are you guys doing? <laughs> no faith, but but I, I'm with you. I just think that Minnesota's too good right now. I think that they're one of those teams that's a championship contending team, and they know that, which is why they made the Kirk Cousins move. Their defense is really, really good. They have more talent on both sides of the ball than the 49ers. Uh of course, at the quarterback position, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the most talented in the league. So we can uh, we can say that the 49ers hold the ultimate trump card if if it comes down to it. But I think that this is one of those things where the 49ers aren't quite there yet with with their talent. They're they're a good team, but they're not really ready to make that jump to the elite teams because they they they're more than one player away, which is why they didn't trade for Khalil Mack, and we'll get into that in a second. But I think it's I think it's going to be one of those games where you're not going to definitely not going to outscore the Vikings offense like that's just not going to happen with the with that defense you're going against Minnesota. It's going to be one of those games where it's probably uh, like mid twenties. Minnesota will probably have 
about 24 points. It'll be close for most of the game. It's not going to be a blowout. I think Minnesota is going to win 24 to 20. I think the Niners will will squeak out 20 points against this this Vikings defense. And Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get his first loss of his career. And hey, that's that's okay. He's going to lose at some point, right? Like just might as well get it out of the way in the first game. We don't have to worry about it. And then and then just let him get that pressure off and be able to to settle into being a normal NFL quarterback who wins and loses games. I think that Jimmy will find some success throwing the ball. I I'm not sure what to expect out of the running game because Alfred Morris could go either way because it's, we just haven't seen him enough in this offense, but I think they'll be able to move the ball relatively well between the twenties. But again, the, the bugaboo for them is, is the red zone and the Vikings defense gets extra stingy in the red zone. So I think that you'll see field goals being kicked by both teams. You'll see kind of both teams feeling each other out for the first little bit. You won't see them really throwing the ball. They just chucking it up downfield. Um, for for probably the entirety of the first half, a lot of these games like there ebbs and flows to them. Especially the first game, like you said, it's a weird it's a weird game for everybody because you're just literally on the field together for the first time. Like the rosters were just cut down to 53 last week, so these guys are are lit- quite literally playing together for the first time this week. Um, so I think that yeah, it's going to be 24-20 Vikings. I I it hurts me to make that pick because I I in my heart the 49ers have a chance, but my mind tells me that this is, this is going to be Vikings. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, Hey, if you had to put a, a child's college savings on the line, <laughs> you had to do it. What would you do? That would, uh, that's, uh, that's how I would look. Well, I mean, we live in California, so it's like, I wouldn't put any savings online period. Cause I mean, we, we work hard for our money here. Yeah. I was about to say, we just bought a house. Really. I need to put my <laughs> savings. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like this guy's got to buy a house, right? So he needs money in his, in his bank account. But that being said, um, you know, like it's just, it's a long season and um, I want to give my, my season prediction. I'll, I'll get Al's uh, next week when he's back. And uh, I want to, I want to hear your season prediction for, for record as well. So I'll give, I'll give mine first and then uh, give you a chance to, to respond and you can have yours as well. Um, so I'll start this off. I'll, I'll preface this by saying that the 49ers are not one player away. They need help at the pass rush position. They need help at running back. They need more help on the offensive line. Um, and they need a red zone threat. So all of those things being said, they'll contend for the division for most of the season. I feel like if they can get through the first half of the schedule 500, they'll be okay. But if this is one of those things where either Jimmy gets hurt or um, they, they just don't do really well through those games, they have a bunch of nail-biter losses like they did last year, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to, to make up that ground. Um, you've got the toughest part of the schedule in the first half. You've got, like I said, those three perennial playoff teams with Minnesota, the chargers and the Packers in the first half. Um, if they can come out of that with, uh, one win, I'll be happy because the the rest of the schedule is, is favorable. Um, I think that, uh, what I want out of this year is, is growth. You won't see the hyper growth that you saw last year when Jimmy came in and they immediately became a different team. You'll see a more gradual sort of curve of growth this year. And I think that, um, you know, 10 to six is not out of the question, but to do that, you really have to almost win all of the, the, the meaningful games in the first half of your schedule. And I'm not sure if they're there yet. So my prediction for the season, I've been, I've been saying it pretty much all along and I'm gonna stick to it is, is going to be nine and seven. A lot of people aren't going to like that because they think that the team is better. I think that the team has potential to be better, but right now, realistically, like I can see, I can point out nine wins on the schedule. Um, there could be a win here or there that that you could just accidentally like luck into a win by a lucky bounce or the defense makes a big play and you can steal a few games. But I really think that that's a that's a three game improvement over last year and they immediately become a contender next year. Um, but for me, it's just they'll they'll contend for the division, they'll contend for that second wild card spot. They may or may not make it at nine and seven, right? I'm not saying they're not they're not a playoff team. I think that the potential to make the playoffs. But that record, I think, is is going to be anywhere between eight and eight, ten and six, and I'll split the difference, and I'll say nine and seven. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd be willing to, to 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 bet on a ten and six, and, and okay, one of the the X factor games that you're going to look at, it's probably going to be in week three, Kansas City Chiefs on the road at Arrowhead, and so much of that is going to hinge on what Pat Mahomes does. I mean, it's early in the season. He's basically a rookie, even though he was there last year and saw a little bit of, little bit of field time. 
you have, I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen with him and, and whether or not he struggles out of the gate or comes out and he's just you know, all, all guns are blazing. But the Chiefs defense is very good. So you have an opportunity there. And, you know, Cornerers could win a shootout there. Um, you know, like you said, the Packers game, not comfortable about that. The Chargers game, not comfortable about that. I mean, you see the Rams come to town um, in week seven. And uh, and even the the Giants in Week Ten are are you know, a much improved team. So I, I I still can look at the schedule and think, all right, Forty Nineers might be able to split against Seattle. They might even win both games. And and the one up in Seattle at uh, CenturyLink might be one of those ones that you steal. Um, you know, the the Niners only have one trip back far to the East Coast, and that's against the Buccaneers, who are going to be terrible. And it's right after the Niners' bye week anyway, so that should be an easy win. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, I, I think 10 wins is reasonable. I think the Niners can get there. Um, and I, if you finish that second half down the stretch and wind up putting yourself in a position where, you know, week 14, 15, 16, those games are critical, even if the Niners don't make it to 10 wins, just the fact that they're actually in a very serious playoff hunt that point in the season really speaks to how quickly this whole rebuild's gone. So, like I said, even if it's a nine and seven finish, you got to be happy about it. That you know this was supposed to take many, many, many years, and uh, it's a lot further along than a lot of us would have anticipated. There are only two players left from that that Super Bowl team in 2012. Like this, this roster has been it's Joe Staley and, and Selleck. That's all that's left. So this roster is a completely different roster five years later, five seasons later. And I think that uh, even, even to the, the bulky days, this roster has been turned over like to no end. It's over 75% of the roster is, is brand new uh, in the last two years. So this is one of those things where they're, they, they realized that they needed to tear it down and build it up. And when Joe Staley came out in the first year of Shanahan and Lynch last year and said that they're probably going to flip this entire roster in two years, I thought he's no way. There's no way you can flip that many players and still be competitive. But look at what they've done. Shrew drafting, good free agent pickups. I mean, and the, the trade of the of the century so far, in my opinion, Jimmy Garoppolo. Like there is the absolute fleecing of of epic proportions to get Garoppolo from the Patriots. The the 49ers were the benefactors of a of a, a dispute within the Patriots organization. And I'm not gonna apologize for that, but it it happened the way that it did, and, and the 49ers benefited hugely off of that. So I'm with you. Like they, they realize that this is not like a, a quick turnaround. Lynch and Shanahan were signed to six year deals when they came in and Jimmy Garoppolo got the five year deal. So they're all on the identical timeline. Jimmy's only 26 years old. So it's not like they need to do this now. I'd rather they do it right than do it fast. And all they really have to show me this year is, is progression. They have to show me that they've gotten better than last year. They have to show me that they can win a big game or two in a hostile environment. They have to show me consistency, all of those things. And I don't think that's too much to ask. We're not making, we're not making Super Bowl predictions here. We're just asking for progress. And I think that they can give us that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think what you're seeing too, you know, some of the, the contractual moves. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's been a part of it. Yeah, a, a lot of the veterans who were kind of the holdovers of, of the, the bulky regime, um, those guys gone. And you, you compare the Rams, for example, with the 49ers. I mean, the Rams are stockpiling now while um, Jared Goff's still on his rookie contract, and they don't have to dish out big bucks. And, and, and seeing, like, gosh, look at all these, these guys that are being brought aboard and then being re-signed, and, and the Rams are in that win-now mode. And that's great. You know, hey, <laughs> if you have the window, go for it. But at the same time, it's – it's, it's a mortgage of the future, whereas the Niners are setting themselves up for long-term success. You look at the, uh, the average age of the secondary, Sands, Richard Sherman, I think it's like 25 years old. Mm-hmm. You look at a lot of the, uh, you know, the defensive line um, outside of Earl Mitchell, it's young. Offensive line outside of Joe Staley, it's relatively young. So you know, it, that's going to wind up playing pretty massive dividends here in you know, the next couple of seasons when, like I said, this year, it's not Super Bowl or bust for the 49ers. But when you start getting into 2019, 2020, then yeah, that's when things are going to turn around and start looking pretty good. And they have the cap room to do it. They definitely have the salary cap space to do it. The 49ers don't really, one thing you can say about Parag Marate is that he doesn't hand out 
bad deals. Like most of the deals are front loaded. Even the McKinnon deal, like if he if he can't prove that he's healthy, they he's based they basically have an out where the 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 rest of his contract they can they can easily absorb that cap hit with the dead money. So I think that the combination of the cap space plus their their natural progression, they can be a contender. The unfortunate thing is that they I want them to be contender now because I, I want to see them win because I don't want them to waste the Garoppolo years, you know, because now the clock is ticking, right? We only have Jimmy for a limited time as as do we any player. So I want them to be able to get the most out of the time that he's here. And I wish they were one player away, which is why didn't they didn't make the the Khalil Mack trade, which was a crazy thing, man. I mean, can you believe that? The, the Raiders traded away their best player, arguably. In my mind, he's he's just right up there with Derek Carr in terms of importance to that team. They traded him basically for for nothing. Like they got they got a couple of first round picks, but they traded him because they didn't want to pay him. Like I don't understand why why you don't pay that guy. Like he's the heartbeat of your defense. He's the only reason why your defense will be will be any good this year. And you just up and trade him to the Bears. And Vic Fangio, who I love, by the way, Vic Fangio is doing backflips over there in, in Chicago because now he's got Roquan Smith up the middle and he's got Khalil Mack coming off the edge. And he's got uh, finally like a defense that he can do something with up there. Like, I mean, can you believe the Raiders made that trade? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, <laughs> it's it, it, when that happened, uh, it, it was literally just like the jaw dropper. And the, the, the two most important positions on a football field. Quarterback, elite pass rusher. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have one of those on your roster, you're looking for one. And you know, the Raiders' defense hasn't been very good the past few years, but without Khalil Mack, that is. I mean, it's it, it. It you might as well look at it as a laughing stock. I mean, the secondary wasn't very good, but Mack would be the only reason why the secondary would have pressure taken off of it. So, I mean, unless you're John Gruden and and you know, he's calling the shots and thinking, hey, we can win out and shoot out fashion and look like the, the old New Orleans Saints teams of a while back that would, you know, that would win 38 to 30 every week. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know the, the, the Raiders' finances, especially with the, route, the, the move to Vegas on, you know, on the horizon here. But, gosh, that it, from an from a actual competitive standpoint, Probably the worst thing the Raiders could have done, and they gave up a second round pick back to back to mm-hmm. Chicago in the deal, which you know, made it even a bigger head scratcher. It's like, wait, wait what? <laughs> like you should have asked for a king's ransom there instead of giving off a, a high profile pick as well. And I just like I feel I I feel for the Raiders fans. I really do. Like I'm not one of those those 49ers people that that wants the Raiders to to tank. Like I I'm from the Bay. This is my home. Like I want all the teams here to do well it goes beyond that for me. So I just feel for the Raiders fans. Like they, they, not only is their team up and leaving them, but they basically essentially waved the white flag for this season as well with that move. Yeah. Like I've got a lot of family here, her Raiders fans. And we talk about this all the time and, you know, asking like, gosh, how do you feel about them moving? And, you know, I'm up here in, in Sacramento area. So, you know, I'm like, well, you know, we go to games, but you know, now it's going to be tougher to go. They're not, abandoning the Raiders, I would totally understand if they would. And, and Oakland fans too. I mean, if they were actually like, hey, I'm done with this team. If they're moving, if they're leaving this area, I don't want any part of it. I get it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a strange decision when you have a top 10 player in the league on your roster who is young and can anchor that defense for a very, very, very long time. You know, those are the players that you lock up. Those are the players that you keep on your roster for as long as you can while they're in their prime. Like the 49ers will probably wind up doing with DeForest Buckner here pretty shortly. Those are the guys that you need around. And plus two, you have to think about what that would do to the Raiders locker room. I mean, you saw a number of tweets from uh, Bruce Irvin, I think was one. Um, Derek Carr will never openly complain and, and, and be overly critical about it, but certainly you know, was, was surprised and shocked. You know what message that send to the locker room? How unified is that locker room going to be? I don't know. John Gruden is so bad as a GM. Like John Gruden, the GM, even as a coach, he's not that good. Like he had that one Super Bowl win that he basically rode the coattails of Tony Dungy and Rich McKay's team. They drafted all that talent. They put the team together for him. John Gruden steps in there in day one, and and credit to him for for getting them over the hump that Dungy couldn't get them over. But still, it wasn't. It was Tony Dungy's team. Like when they won that Super Bowl in t- two thousand and two. Like I was, I was like, this is not, this is Tony Dungy's team that he won it with. Like the, the, the fact is that 
he was able to beat his former team in the Raiders. But like if, if Tony Dungy is there, he beats, he beats the Raiders too. This is not anything that Tony Dungy wouldn't have been able to do. It's just that Dungy couldn't get them to that point and Gruden did for, so basically for one season, he was worth it. And the six years after that, he was terrible. He was a 500 coach after that. And there's the, 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 the this statistic makes me laugh. So John Gruden in his time with the Buccaneers, he drafted over 60 players. You know how many of them made the Pro Bowl with the Buccaneers? Zero. Yeah, I, think, I, I don't remember any. It was terrible, terrible personnel moves, terrible drafting. Like, he, he was so bad. There's three Buccaneers that he drafted that made the Pro Bowl with other teams. But otherwise, there were no Pro Bowlers in his, in his time that he drafted that's unheard of. Like, I don't know how you don't even luck into a guy that was given the nature of the Pro Bowl now where it's just basically like guys sit out. It's between the Super Bowl. And at that time, it wasn't. It was after the Super Bowl. But guys would sit out and like they want their offseason. And even as alternates didn't go, like he was so bad. And now he's doing the same thing in Oakland. They have the oldest roster in the league. They have the oldest roster in years. He traded away their arguably their best player. He's alienated after promising that they would sign him. Like, I don't know if you remember, he, he went to a rally here in the Bay area. I think it was like in, in Hayward or San Leandro here in the, in the Bay. And he went to uh, all these fans and he was like, no, I promise you we're going to, we're going to resign Khalil Mack. And he basically lied to them over an ego thing. Like, so that's, that's the thing. Like I feel, I feel for Raiders fans like, because now your team is, it's got one foot out the door. They're fighting with the city of Oakland. I don't know if you heard today, <laughs> there was a report where uh, I believe Jason Cole of Bleacher Report um, noted that the the city of Oakland may request the Raiders to leave or force the Raiders to leave the name and their entire history in Oakland for the next Oakland team to come here, the expansion team, if and when they have one. I did hear that. I was hearing that on the radio, and and they're kind of coming up with some some joke names for the the Raiders. What are they going to be when they move? And it's going to be like the the Oakland Jettisoners or... (laughs) Isn't that the most ridiculous thing? Or the the Las Vegas turncoats, I mean, yeah. 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 I also heard, too, this was an interesting thing when when looking at John Gruden and the Khalil Mack uh, relationship. I guess back when the Raiders were drafting, John Gruden was coming out saying how Mack reminded him of C.O. Moore and that the Raiders shouldn't draft him. Just kind of saying, oh, this this wouldn't be a good pick. And it's like, Mack's dominant in college. I, I, I don't know what you would think there. I mean, everybody can see just how good he was going to be. So I don't know if something there is deeper or what have you, but anyway, it's, it's a sad situation for Raider fans. Um, and I do feel bad for him genuinely. Yeah. I, I mean, I wish they would stay in the Bay. If, if, uh, and when they leave, I mean, they're leaving, it's already set, but when they leave, they're basically dead to me. I don't care what they do in Vegas. I hope they tank at that point. They're, they're leaving the Bay. Don't care about him anymore. So with that, Peter, man, thank you so much for, for filling in today for Al. Um, you know, tell, let's tell people where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, it's just, uh, just my name, at Peter Panacee. Um, you know, check me out over there. And, uh, of course, on 49ers Web Zone, doing game day coverage stuff, um, trying to keep everybody up to date, entertained, and, uh, and uh, as informed as possible on game day. So you'll see me over there, no problem. And uh, hit me up on Twitter. I always, always enjoy conversations. Um, hopefully I'll provide a little bit of humor at some time if I, uh, if I think twice. So, <laughs> and you can follow me at Zane 49ers. That's at Z a I N 49ers on Twitter. You can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher on the 49ers web zone website under podcasts, um, buy a t-shirt. We have t-shirts for sale. Uh, you'll be able to see the banner right above the podcast on the website. And, um, for, Al Sacco and Peter Panacee. This is Zane Nackby and with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. Peace.